This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Otson Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Preem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today's guest on Monday is National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, Brandon Huffman. Fresh off the road. Brandon, how are you doing? Hey, I am refreshed and enjoying a little bit of blue sky, a little bit of white clouds. Just another day in the Northwest. Yeah, we've, we've got a little bit of blue in, in, in Oregon as well. It, it, so put your sunblock on. Uh, we don't all want to burn. Sun's out. Uh, Brandon, Oregon today, earlier today, this recording at least, Dylan Gresham committed to the Ducks. Uh, that moved them to number five overall in the country. Um, when we look at just this class as a whole, good or bad, just what stands out? Is is there anything that you that you think, wow, they've done a good job here, or you know, they really need to close the second half of this recruiting cycle strong at this spot because it's the depth at this position at West isn't good? Like, just what stands out about this number five class? Yeah, I, I'll say that you know they've done a really good job in getting some quarterback depth. I mean, it, in this day and age, it's hard to get multiple quarterbacks to commit. I mean, you're finding that with some schools, it's hard to get one quarterback to commit in any cycle. So to get two and, you know, both knowing that a second quarterback was likely to be the case, that obviously helps. Um, there's pass catchers galore between receivers and tight ends in this class. Uh, you know, offensive line where they thought there might be a drop-off given the ability of Adrian Clem to recruit uh, and then bringing in a, you know, a new offensive line coach in Leak Terry. I think that they would probably like to add a few more bodies on the offensive line. Um, you know, one was a recruit that Clem got. One is a recruit that Clem was the first one to go in on. Uh, but, you know, I think Terry wants to add some more guys as he gets his legs under him. Um, you got to like what they're doing on the defensive line as well. I think, you know, with some of the key players that they picked up, uh, you know, over the weekend getting Xavier, the Davian Sims, uh, that certainly doesn't hurt. Getting the early flip from Jackson Jones, uh, you know, Tiana Gray also they're doing a good job in, in the Midwest we, we, with Oklahoma and with Missouri sending players this way. And the secondary, you know, a couple of key players in the secondary, obviously, uh, with Ithi Obedeguo uh, from Baltimore, Aaron Flowers out of Texas. Uh, but I think you're going to need, you know, probably a couple more offensive linemen, especially on the interior side. It, it seems like they've got a plethora of tackles, which not a lot of Pac-12 schools can say. But you might want to get a couple of guys that are interior bodies and then linebacker they're in on several key linebackers uh, but a lot of those linebackers are planning to take some time in their recruitment so i think they're doing a good job shoring up some some key spots and getting some great commitments at, at spots that maybe it's a little bit weaker out west so they're going national and now this kind of gives them a, a recalibration of sorts as we head into really the big official visit season starting in june yeah brent i want to pick your brain i got a couple position groups but we'll start at receiver um just kind of off the i guess the heels of the grisham commitment or gresham commitment that's three receivers you kind of mentioned it there a moment ago jordan anderson tyser dunmark already committed as well those are two of the the higher rated players in this class 
when you think about that trio and, and maybe what they can do individually, why, why do you think this is a good group? And then I, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe give some credit to, to Junior Adams because since he's come over from Washington, Oregon has had so much success recruiting high school athletes. We saw what they did in the portal this year, bringing in three highly regarded portal receivers. Just seems like Adams has done a lot of work, and obviously that's carried over in 24. I was in the Bay Area all last week in Northern California visiting schools, and I was talking with a high school coach who's had a player play for Junior Adams and other players get recruited by Junior Adams. And, you know, he's a phenomenal recruiter. But I think what doesn't get stated enough is how well he does developing those receivers and how well those guys play when they're underneath him. It's one thing to, to get them there, but you also got to develop them while they're playing. And if you look at, you know, in, in the Pac-12 North, there's three or four receivers that were guys that he spent formative years with or was a part of their big formative year moving forward. So we know it can develop. And you look at the receivers that he's gotten, you know, maybe there's not a one of those three guys isn't necessarily the guy you look at and go, that guy, that's a dude, that's an elite dude. But that's almost like Junior Adams' specialty is, is taking guys that maybe aren't labeled the dudes, but develop them into good receivers. And I, I know it's, you know, this could sound a recency bias, but I'm a huge Dylan Gresham fan. I, I saw him at the Under Armour camp last month in Southern California. Thought he made a case to be the wide receiver MVP on the day. Uh, I think he had the second fastest, if not the fastest 40 on the laser. Did a great job in his routes. Did a great job catching the ball. Um, and he's coming off a super productive junior year. I, I think you know the big issue for Dylan Gresham on, on a national scale is He's not playing at a glamour program in Southern California. He's out off the beaten path in San Jacinto. So maybe he doesn't get the, the attention on a national scale that a player maybe in the Trinity League does. Um, you, you make the same case of Jordan Anderson. You know, Jordan Anderson was at Millican High School, which is in the shadow of Long Beach Poly, which has long dominated Long Beach. And now he's at Newport Harbor. Uh, but both those guys, production-wise, have been fantastic. Every event they've been to this spring, they've been terrific. So you take those two guys, and then you take Denmark and what he can do. You know, coming from the East Coast, you're getting a nice blend of that Oregon national brand, uh, being able to go out to the East Coast and to get a player. But then with California, which has always been a fro recruiting ground, and Junior Adams is spreading his net wider and wider. And I think that if you're an Oregon fan, you want to see that. You don't necessarily want all your receivers to be from one region. You want to be able to show that you have a brand nationally and you can recruit nationally. So it's not just defensive linemen that are coming from all across the country. They're getting receivers to come from across the country and blending them with some local guys or some Western guys. And I think that, you know, Junior Adams for as well as he does developing those players, he still have to tip the cap for how well he does recruiting and getting those players to come play for him. Oregon has a couple offers out at running back to some guys in the state of Washington. Um, it's a position where I don't know if they necessarily need to load up on two or three, but they could also see two guys be off the roster at the end of this year just by going pro and starters, you know, Bucky Irving and, and Noah Whittington. Um, Oregon has offers to Jason Brown and Ontario Latin Henley. Just your thoughts on those two guys. And is Oregon still involved with both of them? And 
are they in a good spot with both of them? Yeah, I think they're in a good spot if they continue to pursue Latin Henley. I think Oregon's always been the dream school for him. You know, he's had some stuff academically he needed to shore up, and I think he's been doing that over the last couple of uh, semesters to to get himself into a position where he can play. Jason Brown is the top running back in the Northwest. He's a top five player or top six player at the position. Oregon has always been on his short list for him. He's got some national attention, uh, but he's made multiple visits unofficially to Oregon already just in 2023 alone. He's built a really good relationship with Carlos Lachlan. If you go back, I believe the, you know, the running backs coach who offered him initially was Jim Astro. So he's been on Oregon's board for, for over two years, but Carlos Lachlan's continued to maintain that relationship with him. And so I think Oregon is probably among that top five, but I would say of the two, uh, assuming he gets everything he needs to do academically done, Latin Henley is probably in the best position to be an Oregon take. Uh, but I also think that, you know, th they're not going to just sit pat at one. I think that they would like to bring in both. And then there's also national guys that they're going after. They're, you know, Nathaniel Frazier out of Southern California, some of the national backs, uh, again, or Oregon doesn't isolate themselves regionally, but it certainly gives them an advantage that they are relatively close to some of those key targets in Latin, Hanley, and Brown. Brian, you mentioned quarterback earlier, and I definitely think it's worthwhile to talk about this, especially on, you know, a few days removed from Michael Van Buren picking Oregon, Luke Moga picked Oregon, what, a couple weeks ago. I would like to hear kind of how you see these two players, where the ceilings are, but I also think it's just interesting to see Oregon take two prep quarterbacks. That's not been the trend under previous quarter, uh, quarterback coaches and staffs. It was always, let's find the one guy, put all the eggs in that basket. I, I'm wondering if you think this is both maybe a trend Oregon will pursue going forward of, hey, we're going to try to find two guys, or, or maybe even nationally if this is something we'll see just because of the impacts the portal has of, of turning over rosters. Do you think you'll see them maybe take, you know, some of the bigger schools take two guys a year, or, or do you think this is just kind of an aberration and, and it worked out this way this year? I think it's an aberration. I think that in a perfect world, you don't have to recruit two high school quarterbacks because the reality is just from a statistical standpoint, the chances of both those players still being there in four years is probably slim to none. One's going to slip behind the other on the depth chart and think that, you know, not only are there other guys ahead of me, there's a guy in my class that's ahead of me. I'm probably going to leave. And, I, you know, you look back and probably the only one that's seemingly worked in the last three or four or five years, and you got to go back to the 2017 class, was at Alabama with Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Mac Jones. But Nick Saban has a little bit more of a track record of, you know, proving that, hey, if you wait your turn, you could come in and be the starter down the line and it could work out great. Mac Jones ended up being a first-round draft pick as a result of it. But more often than not, when you see two quarterbacks in one class, it's just – you know, it, this is even before the the transfer portal era. It was hard to keep both happy. So it, it's clear that you know both are going to probably try to enroll early with Bo Nix coming in this year for his last year. He's going to be gone, so there's going to be an open competition next spring. You're going to have you know Ty Thompson. You're going to have uh, Austin Ostad. So you're going to have guys that are already on the roster now. Then you have the two freshmen to come in, and then they're going to jostle to see if they can win that starting job. You know, so there's a lot of things that could happen with a vacated quarterback position. But the reality is, is that 
it's hard. You do it from a depth standpoint. You do it from a number standpoint. But I do still think moving forward, you're going to see more and more schools relying on the portal. And it may be another school that benefits from one of those twos going into the portal in a year or two or three. Uh, but I just don't think that's going to be a trend that you're going to see because quarterbacks want to play. And anybody that could be a perceived threat to them playing could be what keeps them from committing to a school. So Oregon has it now. But here's the other thing, guys. We've got – six months till yeah. seven months till the early signing period. You know, who's to say that another school doesn't lose a quarterback or, you know, doesn't lose a quarterback down the stretch. I mean, Oregon knows that good as well as good in any, you know, you had a quarterback committed for the majority of the cycle and then he leaves. And then you flip a guy who had been committed to this school. He was committed to even longer. And yeah. that was at a school with one quarterback commitment. So a two quarterback commitment it just means now that those other schools that were pursuing Bogan Van Buren know just how much harder they have to recruit them. And don't be surprised if Oregon becomes the victim of some negative recruiting uh, against them for having two quarterbacks. Maybe talking some flips here or maybe holding Oregon holding on to these guys. Um, Fox Crater has seen his stock soar with a ton of offers this spring. Um, he committed to Oregon early. Usually when you see a guy commit early and then a bunch of new schools a month and later start throwing offers, that at least for me raises an eyebrow because the staff, those other staffs think they can they can flip him. There's a possibility they can maybe get in there and, and make some moves here. Just what's your read on Fox Crater and his commitment to Oregon and his he made a lot of stops this spring at, at schools across the country. Uh, and then also down in Salem, uh, Trent Ferguson, another Oregon commit, a big blow up. Uh, for him as well with a USC scholarship offer after the Oregon Ducks offered. Just your thoughts on these two tackles from basically the state of Oregon and across the river in Vancouver uh, and, and Oregon's chances of holding on to these guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously Fox Crater's situation is a little unique in that he committed in November, and at that point I don't think anybody thought Adrian Clemens was going to leave, and certainly not for the NFL. Uh, but what I think is helping Oregon in this case is that his mom is still in Vancouver. You know, his dad lives in Texas. Obviously, he took that trip uh, down to the Texas schools. I think he visited Texas A&M, Texas uh, University of Texas, TCU, University of Oklahoma. They went down south, gave him an opportunity to spend time with his dad, which he said was one of the highlights of that trip was letting his dad be a part of that process. But he lives with his mom. Mom is going to be, you know, two, two and a half hours, depending on traffic, from Eugene in Vancouver. And the thing that helps Oregon now is that Coming off of those visits, if there was ever a time where you thought you might lose his commitment, it might have been fresh off of those visits. Instead, he was down, I think, for the second time since that trip. I want to say he was down for the spring game uh, and then was down this last weekend. So, you know, that certainly helps maintaining that. And again, it goes back to, you know, you lose Clan, the guy who was key in recruiting you. And it's still he's got to build that relationship with the league, Terry. And I think that Terry's done a good job of building that relationship in that time that he's been able to. And I think that even with the national intention, you know, Oregon was the first love. There was a reason he committed to them in the first place. And it's still proximate. It might not be an in-state school, but, you know, I think we can all agree Vancouver is essentially, you know, the northern part of Portland. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that that, that certainly helps. Um but it's also one that I don't think that they're going to sit idly by and just assume because of the proximate location, he's a lock by any means. They're going to continue to recruit him. 
Ferguson, on the other hand, got that early offer from Clem, uh, but it was really Terry who turned it on with him to get the commitment from him in April. It was two months after he was hired. So that was one where, you know, Terry really did a good job of doing the work on that. Clem laid the groundwork with the offer, but Terry, that was his first real recruiting win. Again, Ferguson. And, you know, if Oregon has to see Ferguson play in 2024, 2025, they're probably going to be a little bit worried because, you know, <laughs> he's a developmental project. But with the size, the length, the athleticism that he has, that's a hell of a developmental project that they're probably hoping they don't even have to see on the field until 2026 because it gives him two years. I mean, he's played four high school football games, five high school football games, but he's got the size and the athleticism uh, where he can continue to blossom and flourish. And that's the kind of guy you'll take an in-state kid 100% of the time if you can get him because he's not going to be worried if he's not playing after year two and then you're going to get wandering eye syndrome and he's looking to go somewhere local. He's local. He's as local as you can get. And he understands the, the need to develop as a player for those two years. And so you don't really worry about him going into the portal because he is close to home. He knows he needs to develop. And that's a fantastic type of player that you can bring in, uh, especially in a state that doesn't necessarily produce a lot of high-end players that Oregon usually recruits. Brandon, you mentioned a moment ago Fox Crater being on campus this past weekend. You had a story on it was a lot of players from the state of Washington being down here, Tracy Ford's FSP in particular, kind of formulating some of that group. Um, you don't have to go through all the names. You can if you want. You can talk about what that looked like. But I'm curious to just in general, Oregon and the state of Washington and some of the success they've had there already, whether it be with Connerly or Iuli, um, uh, even Jaden Lamar this last cycle. with the last, I know that was a kid that the state of Washington would love to keep him in state. Is there a central figure for Oregon that really, you know, plays into their success here? Or do you just kind of look at it as, hey, it's the, you mentioned a moment ago, basically in state, it's approximate location that plays into it. And, you know, you don't want to make too much out of it, but the state of Washington certainly produces more recruits than the state of Oregon does each cycle. And it makes a ton of sense for Oregon to be involved there. Is it as simple as that? Or do you think there's more to kind of Oregon's uh, influence? You know, this is going to sound cliche, but I'm actually going to say Dan Lanning is a big part of that. And it's not so much Dan Lanning, the Oregon head coach, as it was Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator at Georgia. Now, remember, you know, two years ago, Papa Fua, Sandra Afua, who was the top interior offensive lineman in the Northwest, Jason Brown, Braden Platt, when they were freshmen going into their sophomore year, coming off their freshman season, they went down on an unofficial visit down to Georgia and built that relationship. And for a time, a big reason why Caleb Presley committed to Oregon, uh, even though he ultimately signed with Washington, was the relationship that he built with Lanning when Lanning was at Georgia. So with some of those older guys, there were, has already been that, that familiarity with Lanning. Now, none of those three guys visited this past weekend, but I say that with Dan Lanning in that these guys have looked up to the 24s. There, it was 25, 26s, and even a 2027 that visited Oregon this weekend from Washington. But they have seen their teammates at FSP build relationships with Oregon. You know, Jaden, or I'm sorry, Braden Platt has Oregon in his top eight. Papa Fua, they're on the short list. Jason Brown, they're on the short list. Uh, there's other players from Oregon that are from Washington that have visited Oregon that like it. So that trickles down to those younger guys. And so you've got guys that have grown up watching Oregon be successful. And that certainly helps. And when you've seen out-of-state players like a Jaden Lamar, who a lot of these guys looked up to last year when they were playing seven-on-seven, seven, a Josh Connolly, who was the number one player in the state two years ago, Dave Uli. Um, Dave Uli comes from the same area that 
three of the players that visited this weekend uh, are from. So, you know, they're seeing a lot of those top end players from the state of Washington go to Oregon. And that certainly helps make them a little bit more comfortable about maybe leaving their home state to go to a school that's not far, but it's not right there in their backyard. And I think that that's something that is to take into consideration. But I also think that Oregon has done a great job of prioritizing him, whether it's been Tosh Lapoy, whether it's been Joe Lorg, who's recruited the Northwest well, Carlos Lachlan, you know, coming up here and being a presence here. Um, you know, other coaches, uh, Junior Adams being on the University of Washington staff for a number of years. So you've got a lot of coaches that have strong ties to the state. And then that trickle-down effect is certainly helping out. And what was significant about this weekend is that you had Zadrius Rainey-Sale, who is the number one player in the state per the composite. You had Jonathan Epperson, who's the number three player in the state in 2025 per the composite. You have uh, a couple of 2026 future stars, David Schwerzel and Fa'a Siale, uh, who are teammates with the Sendri Athua and Jason Brown. Uh, you got Lufo Lomali, who's a 2027, already got multiple Power Five offers, and he hasn't even started high school yet. And Oregon is making a big impact on them, at least from a recruiting standpoint, uh, from the jump. And I think that that's something that's going to keep them in the mix for those guys long term. Brandon, uh, earlier this month, Dylan Rayola committed to Georgia. And this was maybe the, the answer to my question. But within the Pac-12 footprint out west, um, what's an interesting recruiting battle storyline that you're just – fascinated by right now you know i think the one and this one it'll resonate with oregon but it also is going to resonate with some of those national folks it's brandon baker and here's why there's a couple reasons first of all obviously it's been known that brandon baker's brother played at the university of oregon but if you look at his top five right now you look at the five schools i would say that i wouldn't call it the official top five it's probably more like a you know top six or seven but you look at the five or six schools that are the most involved you've got Georgia, which was in the playoffs in the last two national championships. You've got Ohio State, which was in the playoffs. You've got Michigan, which was in the playoffs. You've got Miami, which obviously Mario Cristobal has recruited the West Coast and modern day very well. You've got Oregon with the ties, the family ties. You've got USC, which has had a long history at modern day. But this is one of those battles where there's a couple of things that are intriguing. One is can Oregon or USC keep them on the West Coast when you've got three of the more prominent playoff teams in the last few years involved? Can they keep them away from Miami where Mario Cristobal has done a good job recruiting offensive linemen? But there's also the battle within the battle. And that's where when you ask, you know, what's a battle that's kind of unique? Brandon Baker on record. I was doing a feature last summer on the UCLA and USC departure for the Big Ten. And Brandon Baker being in Southern California, being at a school that's been so good to USC over the years, he flat out said, how are these schools going to call themselves the hometown schools and recruit the hometown players when they're leaving the hometown to play? Now, granted, they're going to still have six home games a year, but now right. six of those games are going to be across the country. And we had a lot of other places, oh, this is cool, USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten. Here is the number one offensive line in the country coming from the most fertile school in the Western region. And he's essentially calling out the two local schools for saying – don't call yourselves a hometown school when you're basically alienating the hometown and not right. wanting to play on the West Coast. And I found that to be fascinating. And that statement has stuck with me for almost a year now because not many, you know, 45-year-old, 50-year-old college coaches, administrators, athletic directors would think or say something like that. But Brandon Baker thought of that. So, you know, does USC find a way to resuscitate that when they recruited him at a certain angle? 
Can they ultimately still keep them close to home? Does Oregon with those ties, you know, become that healthy medium? We're like, you're still on the West Coast. You're still playing your games in the Pac-12 footprint. Or like a lot of elite kids we've seen these previous two years, does he leave the Western footprint altogether? That's going to be the one that I think is the most intriguing battle of all, just given the kind of schools that are involved with him and then the kind of the, the, the secret battle within the conditions. It, it's it's super early, Brandon, but I guess I'm just curious. We're kind of talking now about the Pac-12 and some of the recruiting battles and Oregon USC is always going to be one. Are, are you surprised? And I know, again, it's early. How far ahead Oregon is of everyone in the Pac-12? Like I'm looking at it right now. Oregon has 14 verbal commitments. No other school has more than five. Um, and Oregon has 11 four-star recruits, and the rest of the conference combined has has seven. Um, are, are you surprised that Oregon is is this far ahead? And do you kind of anticipate this is how it plays out? Or or do you think once we get into the fall and, and things pick up a little bit, maybe it'll even itself out a little bit? Well, okay. I, again, I don't, I'm not naming any names because I just flat out don't know any names. But of those 14 commits, are we sure all 14 will sign at Oregon? Probably not. I mean, just, again, statistically – Guys decommit. They commit early, and then something happens, something changes, and then guys yep. decommit. Bigger schools come in closer to home that they've been waiting for. But from a uh, from the question of if I'm a surprise, no, because I don't think anybody's as aggressive in recruiting in the country, it's certainly in the Pac-12 footprint, than Oregon. They do a great job of getting the early interest. They do a great job of getting guys to come out for the spring game from all over the country. I mean, we were all down there. Well, you guys live there, but I was down there in Eugene the weekend of Elite 11 in the spring game. And how many guys came in for the Elite 11? The All-22 that weren't from the West Coast. And they doubled it. You know, and they, these are guys that were Pac-12 guys. We, you know, Mario Buford from Texas. You had uh, uh, Jamie French. Jeremiah McClellan. Jeremy McClellan. You had uh, Michael Van Buren. You had guys from across the country that came – specifically for the spring game and for the camp, but more for the spring game, more for the unofficial visit. So they do a good job of spreading the, the, the message nationally in those get those early commitments. And we, again, we haven't even hit the real big July, late June, early July kind of announcement bump that we've started to see these last couple of cycles. And then the reality is nobody really closes like Oregon out West with the exception of USC. So they haven't even done like their heaviest lifting like they've done in previous years until down the stretch. So there might be a couple of guys that are in this class right now that don't ultimately sign there, but you know, they are in front now and they probably will remain out in front for the majority of the run. And I, I think that that's something that is certainly worth monitoring uh, from a national standpoint. It's, it's one thing to have a top class in the Pac-12, but I think Oregon is going to be in contention for a potential top class nationally. Maybe not the, excuse me, maybe not the top overall class nationally, but they're going to certainly be in the conversation because there's a lot of big dogs out there that Oregon is on the short list for that aren't anywhere near making a decision. And once those guys start making decision, I think you're going to see this class become even more remarkable. I guess just to go off script here for a second, Eric, but how concerning though, is it that Oregon's the only school kind of heavily invested into this style of recruiting out West, especially with USC moving on? Like, the Pac-12, you got to get dudes. Like, if you want to win, like, you got to try and get these guys. And it feels like Oregon's the only one really going out of their way to 365 to, to do that. It does. And it's fascinating is when you've seen in the Pac-12 how many schools have shifted to a transfer portal philosophy 
whether it's 60, 40, whether it's 50, 50, whether in the case of Colorado, it's like 97 to three, whatever it may be, there's been a, a huge shift in focus to the portal. Now, a lot of that has been coaching change related. I think Oregon was one of the few schools that even amidst the coaching change, yes, Bo Nix came from the portal. There were other key contributors that came from the portal, but it was still a good chunk of players that signed with them out of high school. Whereas USC, a good chunk of their contributors in 2022 were portal players. You look at Washington, uh, again, they, they were like a lot like Oregon in the sense that, yeah, their quarterback was a portal transfer. Um, a couple other guys might have been, but it was still kind of the nucleus. But you, UCLA, I mean, Chip Kelly's been there for six years now. He's gone heavy portal. Colorado, clearly going heavy portal. Cal this year, going heavy portal. Arizona State, heavy portal coaching change. So you're seeing a lot of schools that – realized they needed an immediate uh, kind of dose of fresh talent. If you look at the two programs that have been the most consistent for the last 15 years in the Pac-12, or let's just say since the Pac-12 started in, in 2011, the two most consistent programs in the conference have been Oregon and Utah. And those are probably two schools that have relied on the portal the least with the exception of Stanford because their own uniqueness and, and yeah. how they have to recruit. And if it weren't for the last four years, disastrous years under David Shaw, you would have put them in that same conversation with Oregon and Utah as being the most consistent uh, since the Pac-12 formed. And when you have the consistency in the program, it makes it easier to, even though Oregon has had what, five head coaches since 2011, you know, the program itself has been consistent enough where they haven't had to rely on the portal as much. But Oregon also realizes they are a national brand. They've played for two national championships since 2010. They've won multiple Rose Bowls since then. So when you have that ability, you are able to recruit high schoolers because this is what this generation of high schoolers remember as kids. People don't, I mean, we finally, thank God, I remember hearing this for years, but we're now at that stage where no kid can say, I grew up watching Reggie Bush because Reggie Bush yeah. thinks he was already out of college by the time this 2024 class was even born. <laughs> For how long were we oh, hearing God. Reggie Bush? Oh, man, <laughs> Reggie Bush. I'm like, you probably don't even remember Reggie Bush's NFL team or his college team, but you know, it was a it was a clear recruiting selling point. Um, you know, so nobody remembers the USC's of the 2000s from the current high school generation. Yeah. They do remember the Marcus Mariota years. I can't tell you how many times I, I go to a school and you hear a kid, oh, who's your favorite school growing up, Oregon? You know, I like the uniforms, I like the Anthony Thomas. And we're, we're getting to that age, oh, man, I grew up watching Justin Herbert. I'm like, God, wasn't he just in college? And we <laughs> were in elementary school when Justin Herbert signed with, Washington, with Oregon. Yep. Um, so for a lot of these kids, that has been a constant for them. And that's why it, it's not surprising that Oregon's in that. Now, to answer the question, that's my long-winded way of saying, yeah, the Pac-12 needs to figure it out. They cannot rely heavily on the portal. If you look at the four teams that played in the playoffs this last year, very few of them were portal heavy. And there's a reason that you're seeing the same consistent programs being mentioned in the playoff breath each and every year. And they're, with the exception of USC last year, you know, most of those schools are doing a good job of developing players, bringing them in, having maybe a traffic jam in a position, but then developing those younger guys and keeping them from going into the portal. Can that keep up in college football? Can that keep up at Oregon? We'll see, given the day and age right now. But that's where I think the Pac-12 needs to get concerned because they've got to do a better job signing and developing these guys out of high school rather than relying on second chance and third chance portal guys. My last question ties 
really well into what we were just talking about here, Brandon, and it is kind of the longevity of Oregon from a recruiting perspective. Basically, I'm going to say since Taggart. Um, the last three head coaches have come in here and have had a lot of success recruiting. You kind of have somewhat of a sample size here over what is now five, six, seven cycles. Do you consider this to be a situation where Oregon – um, is a recruiting destination regardless of coach, or is this more of a, hey, they had three pretty regressive, effective recruiting coaches here, or maybe it's a combination of the two. But I guess I'm curious, Brandon, now, with just with three different head coaches, a lot of success with all three of them as a recruiting, like has Oregon just completely arrived at this point as a school from a recruiting perspective? There's no question. I mean, how many spring games have you guys covered in recent years where there's been 100-plus recruits coming out on their own dime for the unofficial visit? How many Saturday Night Lives have there been with the elite recruits coming out during that last week of July doing the camp? I mean, you know, people can say all they want about, you know, Oregon uh, being, you know, all about glitz and glamour. But the reality is they are putting guys into the NFL. They are putting guys, you know, into the All-Pro and the the Pro Bowl. They're putting All-Americans out. They're putting position award winners. They're doing all that. And it, it helps. I mean, we, we could have said this at the time. Some of us did say this at the time, and you can certainly look in retrospect. Willie Taggart was not a great coach, you know, but he could recruit. But Oregon was also coming off one year aberration in 2016, where everything kind of fell apart in, in one perfect year. But then they bounced back and they've been, you know, a bowl eligible team every year since then. But 2016 was clearly an aberration. You know, 2015 was a down year and they still won, what, eight, nine games? 2014, they played for a national championship. So, you know, Willie Taggart, if anything, was living off of the success that Mark Helfrich had in those years where he was the head coach and before he had the, the bottom fallout in 2016. Uh, all that to say that, yeah, even if you can get a good recruiter, Oregon has some natural advantages where they can recruit themselves because they are a national brand. The other thing that I, I think if you look at Oregon, which is a school that's perpetually been in the top 10, 15 recruiting is if you look at those 15 other schools, Oregon, I say this with all due respect to the state of Oregon high school football and the state of Oregon coaches and trainers, and I'm saying this to two guys that are from Oregon. The talent in Oregon is nowhere near what those top 15 programs each and every year get to recruit from. So the fact that they've been able to sustain the success without having a total recruiting ground tells you that this is a recruiting destination because they're getting those players from all over the country. I mean, uh, gosh, if you guys did a map – in the last five to seven years of how many different states were sending a player to Oregon. And these aren't necessarily states you would think Oregon's going to recruit. Nebraska, Oklahoma, Missouri, you know, some of these states, there's been a lot of those little safety pins from one state with the stream going to Eugene that you wouldn't think. So that's where it shows that Oregon understands their situation from a location standpoint and that they got to recruit nationally. It's been something that they've sustained over the last three coaches, but it also, you know, a lot of that is based on the fact that late 2000s, early 2010s, Oregon were national powers playing each and every week for a potential national championship berth, and they've been able to continue to ride that out. So if they can continue to do that without having the fertile base, then I think that shows you they're kind of there for the long haul. All right, we're going to wrap things up there with, with Brandon. Really appreciate your time coming on the show, uh, giving us the intel on all things across the Pac-12, not just with the Oregon, Brandon. Uh, well, I'm sure our paths will cross at some point here in the next couple of weeks. There's satellite camps going around. I think one of us will be at one that you're going to be there. We'll see. Um, I'll be everywhere. If not, we'll 
You're going to be everywhere. You're always yeah. everywhere. I'll be there in North. I'm like Roy Kent up in this place. I'll be. <laughs> I'll be at the Avery Strong Showcase. I won't be at Lewis and Clark because I'll be covering Under yeah. Armour in Utah. Uh, but yes, I, I will be running into you guys somewhere somehow. Yes. And next time you'll be running us on the podcast as well at some point. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!